Welcome to The Pillars, the podcast of the 363rd ISR Wing of the United States Air Force. I'm Chaplain Jim Bridgham, and I'm here with my co-host, Dr. Jerry Walker. On each episode of Pillars, we find a brief resilience topic so you can practically fix any potential roadblocks you encounter and finish a better wingman, airman, and leader. So we'll dive into today's topic. On our way over here to record, I was talking about the life of the shift worker, and that was just going from the nights and days or those traditional times where most Americans work, those nine to fives, to maybe an early shift coming in at four or working nights and then days alternating. And it really impacts your sleep and sleep quality. And sometimes you just feel like you're not rested throughout the day. So, uh, Dr. Walker, what would you say sleep is? Well, a lot of people have problems with sleep, and um, when you don't sleep well, it can affect a lot of different areas of your um, your body function, your brain function, and uh, other aspects of your life. The reason for that is uh, sleep is largely a restorative process. It's uh, basically when your brain shuts down, kind of like going into standby mode. Um, what happens is your uh, brain waves change and actually go through a series of progressions, which we call the stages of sleep. And the whole point of that is to get to something uh, known as REM sleep, uh, R-E-M. And what that stage of sleep is, uh, is when our mind starts to uh, organize everything that uh, we saw, that we heard or experienced during the day, and basically runs it through another cycle as it transfers all those memories from uh, essentially short-term storage to long-term storage. While this is happening, your body is actually trying to repair itself as well. So it's um, kicking your immune system into to overdrive. It's uh, finding you know those places where you got uh, beat up or bruised during the day and healing those as well. Uh, so it's also where you start to get some restoration for any kind of workouts that you did. So sleep is really essential for helping both your mind and your body recover. Um, now, as this happens in the REM sleep, we consider that to be the most important stage of sleep. Um, but some people don't get there, or for some people, it takes a long time for them to get there. So that's how, um, at times, you can sleep for seven, eight, nine hours, but still wake up not feeling fully restored. And, and I think of Tetris a lot of times like this, maybe Dr. Mario or Candy Crush, okay. where all that those pieces of information are coming into a line at night mm-hmm. while we're sleeping. And maybe that's not the best analogy, but I'll run with it. Okay. And I had gotten some statistics about how people sleep in the United States. And 83.6 million Americans is the estimated total of those who are sleep deprived, which means one in three adults are not getting enough sleep. Now, all these statistics are from the Huffington Post who did a, and Ariana Huffington had written a book about sleep that was quite helpful. But one of the things she identified is $41 billion annually is spent on sleep aids. And yet with that, 45% of U.S. adults say they lack quality of sleep uh, mm-hmm. during the week, and it affects their daily activities. Absolutely. So one of the things I'm looking at is how can we improve our sleep? We're buying these sleep aids. <laughs> and what I, I've done and how I'd approach sleep as a shift worker and working in der- different places in the Air Force, I would just kind of run all day and get in bed and say, time for sleep. Mm-hmm. And if I parked my car the way I sleep, I would hit every car in the parking lot because I drive 100 miles per hour and hit the brakes, pull the e-brake, and stop. <laughs> and it doesn't work, right? You know, we have to kind of ease into sleep. But what, what kind of things can we do to improve our sleep? 
Uh, well, you hit on, on one of the first things. I, I think that's actually a misconception. And uh, what drives that is our, um, if you want to say operational tempo throughout the day, um, for ourselves, what we do is we, we constantly spin from one activity to the next. And there's really no break, especially for your mind. Um, even now in those dead times when we're not actively doing something, a lot of times we're using uh, different pieces of technology or on our smartphones, and so we're still engaging our mind. So uh, constantly moving from one thing to the next, all up into the point where we go to sleep. And uh, the reason why it's difficult for our brain to, to switch like that is because it's gotten used to over the past 16 hours or so uh, from being constantly um, active and dealing with all kinds of different stimuli. And then going from that to uh, minimal stimuli and expecting our brain just to automatically shut off, it's kind of an, an unreasonable expectation, but a lot of us don't think about it that way. So uh, just like what you're talking about, Chaplin, with the uh, uh, driving your car into the parking lot at 100 miles an hour, we also need to try to ease into sleep. So there's a lot of different ways we can do this, but uh, my favorite is creating a uh, pre-bedtime routine. And I'm sure all you parents out there are nodding your heads, right? Because you know that um, you got to go through that same pre-bedtime routine with your kids. Otherwise, it's just going to get them all out of whack and they're going to be up and alert and not ready to, to go to sleep. Well, we can benefit from this as adults, too. Essentially, you set the same series of activities in order, and you repeat that order every single night before you go to bed, and this serves as a cue to your mind that it's time for sleep. So for me, I'll do a lot of uh, personal hygiene things at night. Um, I'll get my clothes out for the next day, maybe take a shower, um, brush my teeth, you know, all those different things that we normally do, but I, I make it a point to do them in the exact same order. And... Um, I started doing this a few years ago because I was I really suffered from insomnia uh, really badly for, for quite some time. And I saw this recommendation and figured, hey, I've tried just about everything else. Uh, why not give it a shot? And it's gotten to the point now to where um, you know, the last thing I do, which is brush my teeth, and I don't know why it's the last thing it is, but it, it is, um, where I'll get to that point in my routine and I get so tired that um, sometimes I don't even want to brush my teeth. Um, you know, oral hygiene does not win over sleep <laughs> in this case. And so, I mean, even as I'm, I'm, you know, flossing, brushing my teeth, my eyes are starting to droop, um, starting to, to feel really tired and exhausted. That's because my mind has determined this is the last step in that, that cycle. I'm, I'm reaching the final stages of winding down, uh, in order to, to fall asleep. And what's great about, uh, that particular, um, uh, routine or that activity at the very end uh, provides some tactile information. So, you know, the, the uh, taste of the toothpaste is like that final indicator um, that I'm getting ready to crawl into bed and go to sleep. So if you can find something kind of like that, um, you know, like I said, a, a shower, a bath, maybe something similar, or, you know, putting on some lotion that, that smells really nice. Something along those lines can also serve as a sensory reminder to your brain that um, it's about to be bedtime. And that 45 minutes before bed, I've heard from multiple authors, is critical because your brain is going to take that information and process it over and over again while you sleep. So some authors like Josh Waitskin, he talks quite a bit about journaling a couple hours, even up to that hour before bed, and letting your subconscious do work throughout the night. But it's also critical because if you want to get good sleep and you're watching maybe some zombie shows before bed, <laughs> perhaps you should record those and watch them the next day. 
That, that's actually a good point because there's um, a lot of things that we do inadvertently that we think are helping us fall asleep but are actually uh, stimulating our minds even more. So uh, that kind of leads me to, to what are some good bedroom activities and some bad bedroom activities. Um, I know a lot of you out here are going to disagree with me and probably hate me for saying this, uh, but you should not watch TV in bed. I agree. And you, sh- you shouldn't uh, be on your smartphone or, or tablet or anything like that at least 30 minutes before bedtime. The reason why is all those technologies emit something called blue light. And while you may not uh, pick it up visually, it's actually outside of our visual spectrum, your brain still senses it. And, and what happens is it uh, activates it and, and keeps it alert. And we're actually trying to do the opposite of that. So, um, you know, alternatives like reading a book or uh, journaling are a great way to, to you know, still be doing something but not activating your mind as much. And to interject there for a minute, some people will say, well, that's a big hobby of mine. It's important. But many folks who come in for marriage counseling who say that they lack intimacy in their marriage, I'll ask, well, do you have a TV in your bedroom or in your smartphone? So there's actually a huge benefit to this for those of you who say, well, I won't give it a try because your intimacy levels usually go up significantly once you take that TV or media out of your bedroom. I call it a digital sunset, and it's like what time are your electronics going to bed? And it should be at least an hour before you go to sleep. That's true. I mean, you could always think about, well, if I weren't, uh, if my partner and I, or if I weren't watching TV or uh, we weren't on our phones, what would we be doing instead? Well, probably uh, things that help to build emotional and, yes, physical intimacy. So that may be something for, uh, you know, if you're married or if you're living with a a partner, that may be something for both of y'all to try because, um, you know, that's another opportunity for you to, to engage with each other. Um, to to talk and get to know each other at the end of a long day. And uh, if you're both distracted, you're actually robbing yourself of that opportunity. And there's a spiritual component to sleep I wanted to bring in here. There's a quote from William Shakespeare. He said, sleep is the image or brother of death. For in sleep, the body rests while the soul remains awake. So in death, the body rests while the soul and spirit live. And there is just the spirituality recognized by all kinds of religions, all kinds of faiths that comes up. And without getting into any specifics, the thing I'd say is going to bed with a sense of gratefulness. And this has been hmm. recognized by like Seligman and so forth, the famous psychologist. Yeah, Martin Seligman. Exactly. And mm-hmm. it's that idea of just being grateful for what you get for sleep and that you're in bed wherever that bed is, whatever location worldwide. And that when you wake up, even if it's a limited amount of sleep, perhaps you're a new parent, you're a shift worker, you had a rough night, just being grateful for what you got will shift your day. Rather than waking up and saying, oh, you know, my Fitbit, my, my Fitbit, whatever it is, said I only got two hours of sleep. Right. Well, just be grateful for those two hours. And breathing, and uh, it's just so important. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I like what you're saying uh, for a number of reasons. So um, a lot of times when, you know, as a psychologist, I'll meet with people who are having difficulty sleeping, and um, sometimes it has to do with just high levels of stress or anxiety uh, robbing them of their, their ability to quiet their thoughts um, and to fall asleep. And so you know, they've been going, going, going during the day. They finally get home and, and get in bed, and there's no more distractions. And so now all those anxious or stressful thoughts uh, that have been repressed by constant activity during the day now come rushing back into their consciousness, and uh, they find themselves worrying and thinking about things that um, you know keep them awake and, and keep them from shutting their brains off to get to sleep. And one of the things I've recommended to them is uh, to take that, take those 
um, images, those worries, and to put them down on paper as a way to transplant them essentially from your brain to paper. And I like what you talked about with the uh, uh, you know, concept of counting your blessings that Martin Solomon talks about in uh, his books on positive psychology because I think that's a component that you could add to that. So essentially take those um, anxious thoughts and those worries that you have, put them down on paper as a way to say, I recognize these are important, but I, I can't deal with them right now because I got to sleep. So I'm going to put them here. I can pick them up later uh, at a time when it's more appropriate for me to deal with them. And then right after that, you can talk about the things that you're grateful for. So now you're, you're shifting your attention from the things that you're worried about to the things that you're uh, grateful for. And so that, that creates, a, I think, more of a uh, contented satisfaction uh, frame of mind that's more conducive towards sleep. I totally agree. And even if you're just thankful for nothing but the fact that you're breathing, that's a good thing to start with. <laughs> and one other piece that many faiths talk about and worth mentioning, without getting into too much detail in the neuroscience behind it, the idea of dreams. Mm-hmm. And I recommend that a lot of people just keep a notebook next to your bed. And when you have dreams, just make a note of what they are. And what I find is it kind of cultivates this idea of more REM sleep because your brain is trying to communicate something to you from your subconscious. And by writing it on paper, you're affirming that, Hey brain, I'm listening to what you're saying. So I keep a notebook next to my bed and it seems to cultivate more dreams and more REM sleep for me as well. So uh, usually I wake up feeling more rested in that case. Otherwise I wake up in the middle of night having had a dream, like I was on a movie or an NCIS episode or something. And uh, I say, Oh, I want to remember this in the morning and it'll actually keep me up for a while trying to in- intentionally remember this vivid dream. Maybe I'm the only person who does this, but I'm sure at least one other person does. Well, I think you're not the only person who uh, wakes up in the middle of the night periodically. In fact, um, a lot of times we all wake up several times during the middle of the night, especially at the end of uh, different stages of REM sleep. Uh, most of the time we don't notice it or don't even remember it. Um, some people may just have a, a small bladder and have to get up and go mm-hmm. to the bathroom in the middle of the night. Um, but usually when that happens, we're able to slip right back into sleep without much difficulty. So I, you know, I encourage you to try to, if that's you, just try to get right back to bed and, and you know, resume sleep as quickly as possible. Uh, usually it takes about five minutes. But if you notice that you're having a lot of difficulty falling asleep initially or falling back to sleep, uh, then just get up out of bed. I'd say give it like maybe 20, 30 minutes. You don't have to set a timer or anything. But you know, if you feel like you've been awake for that period of time, just go ahead and get up out of bed. Uh, move to another room, find something to do, uh, something non-stimulating preferably, and then uh, only get back in bed when you're tired, when you feel like you're about to fall asleep. And the reason is if you get it, uh, back into bed too soon before that, um, your mind's not ready. And so you're just going to find yourself tossing and turning, laying awake in bed rather than out of it. And, and if you are having trouble sleeping and you go talk to your primary care manager, they'll help you through some options. What we don't want to do is run our lives where we wake up, inject ourselves with thousands of milligrams of caffeine, and then right before bed, take that bottle of alcohol and down it in order to sleep. Those are not good ways to deal with it. I'm not angry at caffeine. In fact, I'm a big fan, and, uh, and I'm not against alcohol either. But it's just making sure that we're not relying on those to just get going or to stop for the day. 
Yeah, it's um, caffeine's a tricky uh, subject because yes, it does make you feel alert and awake. And you know, I'm on coffee number two this morning, so I'm not one to talk. Um, but I, I will say, you know, you can't overdo it. And one thing to keep in mind, just like a lot of substances, alcohol and, and tobacco included, um, it takes some time to get into our, our bloodstream for we actually start to feel the effects. But then there's a very slow tapering down um, where you may not feel the effects as much anymore, but those chemicals are still actively working your physiology. And so um, generally I'd say try to, to limit your caffeine use within at least five or six hours of sleep. Uh, and if you're drinking more than uh, two to three caffeinated beverages a day, and that includes um, those energy drinks, um, you might want to think about cutting back because at that point, what, what's probably happening is that that caffeine is still around in your system, you know, regardless of when you had it during the day, and that's actually preventing you from going to sleep. So now you're creating this uh, caffeine-dependent cycle because um, you're, you're not getting enough sleep. You're having to drink more caffeine during the day just to feel awake and alert. Uh, and then that's keeping you from falling asleep at night, and then just the cycle continues. And there really is no substitute for sleep. And, and I agree. And we will have a separate episode where we talk about caffeine and some ways to deal with it. We'll be doing some tests beforehand. So having worked at a major coffee company for three and a half years, it, that is going to be the biggest challenge I think I face you know, in this uh, series of podcasts. Okay, well, on that note, I think we've hit a lot. To, oh, one more thing? Yeah, sorry. So oh, um, th- I know we talked about a lot of stuff, and um, probably most of you guys aren't remembering all this, but you know, if I could just offer a few more pointers, um, things to remember, and you can take some of this, all of this, maybe just limited pieces and try what works. Uh, but you know, I just want to cover a few more things I think may be helpful for some of our folks out there. Um, when it comes to the bedroom environment, you want to try to keep it as cool as as uh, as comfortably possible. Maybe a bit colder than uh, you would normally like it, just because our our body temperature actually drops a full degree when we're asleep, and so you're helping to facilitate sleep if you're keeping it a bit cool. If you've ever uh, tossed and turned in the middle of the night, felt hot and then cold, hot and then cold, it's usually because the bedroom's a little too warm. You want to keep it as dark as possible and as quiet as possible, trying to limit that sensory input. Some people like an ambient noise in the background, like a fan or something. That's fine if it's at a low level, uh, but we don't want it to be to the point where it's distracting. And then here's probably the biggest thing, uh, especially for uh, people who work different shifts, keeping a consistent bedtime and wake time. And uh, the reason for this is our body runs on a 24-hour cycle called the circadian rhythm. So we uh, are essentially try to guess uh, when it's time to go to bed, when it's time to wake up. And this applies even if you, um, you know, work days or, or mids, so, um, or swings for that matter. So um, you know, whatever that time it is that you wake up in the quote-unquote morning, that's your zero hour. And it's usually triggered by light. So if you, um, you know, do work during the, the nights and sleep during days, then uh, it's especially important to keep your bedroom dark so that you're blocking uh, all light input. And then as soon as you wake up for, you know, your morning, uh, make sure that you're exposing yourself to, you know, as much light as possible, including artificial light. <laughs> if uh, natural light isn't available to help your body uh, say or your mind to say, this is my zero hour. And that's going to help uh, facilitate more of a regular sleep squ- uh, schedule um, throughout the weeks as you continue to keep this up. And the hardest part of this is going to be those non-duty days, so especially the weekends. A lot of people like to stay up late and party a bit more on the weekends or, or maybe sleep in on Saturday or Sunday. 
Um, and I'll tell you, it's you're doing yourself a disservice. And a lot of people don't like to hear that because they think they're uh, catching up on sleep on the weekends. What's actually happening is you're shifting your sleep schedule now to where your your brain says, oh, well, this is going to be our new schedule. So come Monday, it's not ready to go to bed at the normal hour, and it's not ready to wake up um, in time for work. So as much as possible, try to keep consistent on the weekends at the very least with that consistent wake time. So I'm not saying don't go out and party and have a good time on Friday and Saturday. Just make up your work, your wake. Make sure you're waking up in about um, one hour within that normal wake time. Yeah, you can make that early service on Sunday morning. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but one practical thing on alarm clocks, especially there are a number of alarm clocks that have natural light that you can have, and they wake you up not with the alarm itself, but with a gradually increasing light that simulates natural sunlight, and that does help for shift workers as well as blackout shades which completely uh, darken your room. So there's a lot of practical things you can do as well. So I think these are important items, especially for shift workers. Well, I think that's all today. So thank, we want to thank you for listening today. We're looking forward to continuing to deliver these uh, every other week. And if there's anything you need in the meantime, you can look us up in the global address list. I'm Chaplain Jim Bridgem. Dr. Jerry Walker. And we look forward to talking to you next time. Mm-hmm.